Hello and welcome to Jackman Radio. I'm your host, Mike Jackman, and we are very excited today to be welcomed by uh, filmmaker and documentarian Kim Statton. Uh, Kim is joining us all the way from uh, Australia right now, so we really appreciate his time. And uh, why don't we just go right into it? You've made this extraordinary film, uh, documentary about Julian Assange and his story. And I read this is something that you've been working on um, laboriously for the last two and a half plus years. So um, thanks for joining us. And why don't, why don't we just go right into it and uh, tell our audience, um, you know, how you got into this and, and uh, what, what the process was like. Sure. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, so this project, yeah, it's been uh, two years and two months in the morning. Um, I basically uh, really only started delving deeply into the um, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks um, story um, just uh, four years ago, I suppose. And uh, when I started looking into it, then I realised how uh, ignorant I've been to that to that situation and, and the wider implications. And uh, I think it was from that sense of uh, kind of uh, disappointment with, with myself of being uh, sort of blind to it that, that sort of impelled me to uh, want to make a, a, a really a video. And originally it was just going to be maybe a YouTube, a simple YouTube documentary. Um, nothing ambitious, and uh, I got started with it um, by interviewing John Shipton, Julian's father, in Melbourne, and it just grew and grew. The project just kept exp kept expanding, and we had so much support that it became uh, a feature length documentary. and And then now we've had the the world premiere just a few days ago in Melbourne at yeah. the uh, Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. How did that go? It looked like it was pretty well attended and, and good reception. Yeah, it, it was a really good event. It was a full house. Um, we had a standing ovation at the end, and it really just exceeded all of my uh, my hopes for the way that it was received. Um, it was, yeah, just a buzz, a, a huge buzz. And apart from uh, Mr. Assange's father, it looks like you also interviewed other family members like his brother and, and his wife. Um, you know, what was that process like? What, what kind of, <clears throat> how was that, uh, you know, how'd you set that up and, and um, how did that go during the process? So I lost you for about 30 seconds there, if you could repeat the question. Oh, yeah. And, and to our audience, um, because I'm in America and um, Kim's in Australia, uh, there might be some delays and some fading in and fading out, so don't worry about it. But, uh, uh, yeah, I was just wondering, so you mentioned you interviewed uh, Jul Mr. Assange's father, but well, it looks like you also interviewed other family members like his uh, brother and his wife, uh, Stella. Um, what was that like? Uh, look, everyone we interviewed was, look, it was, it was just really interesting. You know, everyone, uh, I mean, everyone that we interviewed was, incredibly insightful they have so much knowledge i learned so much and uh, they're also courageous they're also brave to um, just keep going and keep fighting and um, um, in, in a, amongst a, such a, um, a difficult circumstance and uh, so much um heartbreak and uh it's just such a hard thing for them 
for them to deal with the, the fact that he's being arbitrarily detained for so long, treated so poorly, and he's suffering so much. It sounds like the conditions at Belmarsh are, are pretty harsh. Um, do you know what the current status is on, on Mr. Assange, like how he's doing or, or his health? Because some of the things I've read, you know, his health is kind of failing and, and he, you know, he's not doing that. They're not really taking good care of him. Um, yeah, well, I can only pass on what I've heard from his family recently. Um, so uh, just passing on their comments because I'm not in touch with Julian myself. Um, only a few people are able to be in contact with him. He's extremely limited with communications. Um, essentially in Belmarsh, it's, it's, it's basically incommunicando apart from a few of his family members and, and his lawyers. Uh, but we did um, hear from John Shipton a few days ago at, at a speaking event in Melbourne and he um, said that uh, um, Julian has uh, been doing a lot of exercise around his very small cell and, and um, trying to keep fit, which is a good sign that he's determined um, to, to, to sort of maintain his fitness as, as difficult as it is in solitary confinement 23 hours a day um you know this is a uh, really small cell in the in the maximum security wing of the prison um but it's it's more so the compounded effect of 12 and a half years of of detainment firstly house arrest and then in the embassy for six and three quarter years and then now in uh, Belmarsh prison for four and a quarter years um, and that's something that we detail in the film there's a, a chapter about the health implications and we hear from Jill Stein uh, who's from Doctors for Assange group and and they go into all the health issues that he's developed from lack of sunlight from the psychological torture the mini stroke that he suffered um, not so long ago um, I've been told John Shipton has said that his left eyelid droops, uh, you know, which is a, a, a side effect of a stroke, um, and yeah, ma many other health issues, and but also incredibly um, impacted psychologically with his mental health, um, and and that's another thing that we detail in the film is that um, Nils Melzer at the time was the special rapporteur on torture and he visited the prison a couple of years ago with um two other doctors two doctors Niels is a lawyer um so the three of them visited the prison and assessed julian under the istanbul protocol to see whether he was a victim of torture and they determined that he was being psychologically tortured he had all of those signs and yet he's still being detained indefinitely uh, and that's just one example of all of this persecution um, just this grotesque mistreatment of Julian coupled with that I saw recently Kim that uh, Secretary Blinken was meeting in Australia with some Australian officials and he's basically saying this was a big crime um, this was a huge deal and we're not budging on this um, so mm. where it stands right now uh, with extradition are essentially are we waiting for the authorities in Australia to respond to the U.S. or how close is the U.S. to getting him uh, back over here? What what is that looking like? 
well, yeah, so we've had the Secretary of State, the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, basically just confirming the stance of the, uh, the, the US, the DOJ, the US government about um, just, he's just basically confirmed uh, a few days ago that they are going ahead with the extradition. There's no change despite the, the statements of Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and the Foreign Minister Penny Wong. Um, so what we basically d d uh, established is that th those very weak sort of statements of the Australian government have achieved nothing. Um, and, and America's just confirmed that they're still pursuing Julian and um, just going ahead with their extradition attempt. Um, so it, it does seem that he's getting closer and closer to extradition, although everyone keeps the hopes up that, that sort of a miracle can happen, that, that Biden will decide that he wants to drop these uh, Trump-era charges. Um, or that um, Albany will take a f Oh, it froze up on us. And, and Kim did warn me at the beginning of this that uh, there might be temporary um, glitches because he is in Sydney, Australia, and I'm here in uh, New Hampshire. Oh, you froze up on us there, Kim. I think you're back. Um, yeah, so as I was saying, it, it, uh, it just seems so unlikely that there's going to be any sort of short-term resolution because of these statements. Um, and uh, the, the U.S. pursuit of Julian is just relentless. Um, the, this is what's interesting about Anthony Blinken's statement is he's basically saying that Julian is guilty of, uh, or, I mean, he's accused of serious crimes. And this is really similar to what... Uh, Julia Gillard, Australian Prime Minister, said uh, something like 10 years ago, she was the first Australian Prime Minister to, to sort of start the official um, Australian persecution of Julian, saying that he's, he's guilty of crimes when he, it's, it's an it's a indictment, which is an accusation. There's no crime. So this is, a, this is an attitude that's being presented. It's no, there's no basis for it. It's a, they're presenting an attitude and then they've uh, persecuted him, psychologically tortured him, detained him for all of these years. And it's all about keeping him in a legal limbo, um, keeping him suppressed, censored, silenced, uh, psychologically tortured so that his health will degrade. And then to wear him down with, I think it's something like 24 different court cases. Um, to wear him down financially, psychologically, and also to send this huge warning to um, other would-be whistleblowers and journalists. So it's all about um, threatening, uh, you know, uh, scapegoating Julian to uh, prevent others from doing something similar. I think that's the crux of the whole thing, uh, Kim, because you're talking about hundreds of thousands of leaked documents and, of course, diplomatic cables and then information with respect to Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, such a significant bat to the war machine uh, that he did by releasing these documents. And, uh, you know, I was kind of 
kind of bummed to see that the press, some of the press came out in favor of releasing him recently, but I feel like it's I'm too little too late when you hear about the New York Times or the Guardian, even though the Guardian was one of the dispatches that published the information. Um, I think this is just meant to have, a, like, kind of like you said, a chilling effect on would-be whistleblowers, but also the press. And I really think this case is is um, significant in that uh, going forward, this is going to determine what the press does, you know, with explosive information. Yeah, the, this this phrase "chilling effect" is is, is uh, frequently used to describe this situation, but I kind of think of it more like an ice age that's already upon us. Um, there's an interesting example of this, which I, we, we heard over the weekend at, at this same talk with uh, the author, ex-Reuters journalist, Dean Yates, um, who's part of the collateral mur murder story. He was the chief of staff of Reuters in New Baghdad at the time of that incident. And he's just released a book called Line in the Sand. So we went to his um, book reading in Melbourne and one really powerful statement that he made uh, during his talk was that um, when he was preparing a speech um, about six months ago in Sydney at the, the Belmarsh Tribunal event in Sydney, um, which was kind of like a people's tribunal, um, they, they held these Belmarsh tribunals in um, New York, uh, sorry, in Washington, Sydney and, uh, and London. And um, so Dean Yates spoke at the Sydney event. Now, so Dean was saying that when he uh, got up to give this speech, even though he's been a TV reporter for many, many years, decades as a journalist, he was very nervous and he was trying to figure out why, why am I nervous? And he realised that the reason he was nervous was because of what the US might do to him with giving this speech about that incident and what is that well that that is the julian assange effect in action um so it's it, it's already had an effect i mean what journalist is is going to do anything like that um i mean it's it's a highly effective way to stop whistleblowers from uh, being willing to um release truths and release information that the public should know, um, release details of crimes and corruption and uh, torture and pedophilia and whatever else that um, these crimes have been done. Um, and we should be seeing a lot more whistleblowers, um, but we're seeing less and less. And also at the same time, there's a crisis of press freedom. There's, there's the, the press freedom globally is just getting uh, worse and worse. Another thing that we look into in the film. Um, let me give you a stat on that, uh, which comes from Rebecca Vincent from Reporters Without Borders, who's featured in our film. Um, I was shocked to, to learn from her that there is currently more than 500 journalists either do, being detained or imprisoned globally. More than 500 journalists are in prison. And wow. it's an it's a incredible number. We don't hear about all those. Who are all those people? We, we might know a few. I mean, the average Joe would be, would be uh, unlikely to even be able to name one of them. So it's not something that we 
we hear about, unless maybe you're, you're interested in this topic or you are a journalist yourself. Uh, most people can recognise the, the name Julian Assange, but they don't know what's his current situation because the, the, the media don't really cover it. It's a media blackout on this. So we have a big problem. And, uh, and Julian Assange is just the canary in the coal mine of that issue. And when they do cover it, Kim, they, there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of smearing and a lot of attacking. And, and of course, um, you know, Julian can't answer these charges where he is right now. And it's, you know, it's just like um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. running for president. The way the media covers him, they just immediately kick it off with an attack or uh, a smear or name calling. And a lot of the times with the Assange case, they uh, talk about the, the, you know, the charges against him, uh, you know, that are out there, um, especially from the the, the women. Uh, but w that was that dropped, or did they drop that, or was it was it shown to just be completely fabricated because, um, you know, there was other evidence that came up with that? Is that do you address that in your film as well? Because the media likes to use, um, you know, that as an example to attack them. Yeah, well, that that's one of the most. Uh, hackneyed smears um, that, that that has just stuck like like mud because that's what it is and uh, people yeah you still see I, I saw the other day somebody commented under a Facebook post um, you know this this accusation of uh, against Julian in regards to the Swedish allegations um, but but she her her idea that this, this person I'm commenting was that that he was actually guilty of these charges when the the situ the current situation is that the charges were dropped some years ago so he's never been actually um actually uh guilty of 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 the charges and and he wasn't actually even charged he was never even charged it was allegations it was an investigation and it was it was a tool it was a uh yeah, like, I mean, this is a big topic to go into and, and you could talk for a long time about it. But this is covered in the film, um, the, a chapter about the smears. We debunk the main smears, um, that Julian is, is a guilty of sexual assault, that he is a hacker, uh, a Russian agent. He didn't redact. Um, we cover those main smears and... Uh, but yeah, the the Swedish one is is probably the most pervasive that um, is is so that's been so destructive to his uh, reputation, and that's the thing. Um, what we what we detail in the film is that um, around that so around twenty ten or, or, or just before twenty ten, um, there's a document that that was uncovered um, where a firm called Stratfor uh, was basically giving the United States advice on how can they handle this Assange WikiLeaks situation. And their advice was to follow him from country to country and keep him in the legal system, um, use the uh, litigation as a weapon, um, make sure he just basically goes completely broke and um, so they they had a strategy. Um, that's 
it was an actually it was actually an orchestrated very carefully well designed well constructed and orchestrated strategy against him um they they had a task force on the case and it all looks very suspicious when you just very conveniently have these allegations come out right at the time that all the biggest releases are coming out when mm. when WikiLeaks is at the height of its powers literally within Oh, we had another freeze up here, folks. Uh, Kim should be coming back here momentarily, but yeah, we're just talking about uh, the, the, you know, the press's treatment of Assange and the authorities, and you know, the smears against him. Oh, he's back. Okay, <laughs> sorry, Kim, it froze up there for a minute. Yeah, so uh, I won't go too far into it because um, it's really better for for someone on the legal team to tackle these types of questions, and I don't I don't like to delve into um uh you know um uh, supposition and and details that i'm not um 100 accurate about but but look essentially at the crux of it two women went to stockholm police station to uh ask the police to help to have julian take a uh, take an sti test that's what they went there for um and then it got turned into a uh, a sexual assault allegation um and nils melzer that i mentioned already the un special rapporteur on torture he has a fantastic book called the trial of julian assange and because nils melzer speaks uh, swedish he was able to go through all these documents through the freedom of information act and find out all of these uh, over 40 uh, examples of of um, a breach of, of due process um, so the whole thing is just uh, really super dodgy. Um, he details it in his book. It's an excellent book. And he basically debunks the whole thing and, and, and explains that, uh, the, you know, what, what was the actual purpose of the women going there um, and, uh, and then all of the misconduct that happened. And, and basically his conclusion is that the women are also a victim of, of this, this concocted allegation they became a victim they didn't want to um they didn't want to do that 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 wasn't their plan um so somewhere between them sitting down at the desk and uh and, and giving their report it got turned into something else um and then it suddenly got leaked to the press and then it was over all the headlines so uh, how does that happen you know this is this is very suspicious how that all happens um and then poor julian is is subjected to that to these uh incredible defamation um and but ultimately i mean at the end of it it goes on for years and years um sweden and the uk basically use it as a tool to uh to keep julian in a limbo in a legal paralysis he's stuck in the embassy um at the time you know when he went into the embassy he said you know i'm doing this because us is using sweden these allegations to get me into custody to put handcuffs on me so that when I, once i'm in a, a a prison cell in sweden they can just take me anywhere which is ultimate to the us and at the time everyone thought he was nuts he was uh he was um delusional but it, it, that's been vindicated because that's exactly what they were trying to do and they're still trying to do it but they're doing it very slowly 
because they're hoping that he will, I guess, um, you know, uh, suffer some um, uh, incredible health issues or, or, I guess, lose his mind through all of this uh, confinement. Yeah, I mean, so not only are they, are they politically assassinating him and, and doing an attack of personality and character, but um, I was reading, you know, I mean, they, the CIA, Mike Pompeo, even, at, you know, after the release of Vault 7, were talking about literally is how can we kidnap and assassinate him? And then you got that comment from Hillary Clinton about drone bombing him, even though maybe it was made in jest, but it still shows you the level of thinking from some of these authorities. So. I don't know yeah. how, how, you know, if he comes back to the States, he's going to be uh, tried in the same district where John Kiriakou was. And that's like a, that's where, you know, whistleblowers and, and uh, people who expose government secrets and wrongdoing, uh, that's where they go for those trials. And the record there is not good. So Yeah, that if he uh, is extradited and goes on trial for these bogus charges, um, these 18, this 18 count indictment with a potential prison sentence of 175 years, it's going to be in the the district of, of Virginia, which is um, the, the jury will be com comprised of um, the family and, and associates of people that work in those three letter organizations. Um, John Kiriakou said in the interview that I was listening to that, uh, that no one's ever uh, been acquitted of a, of a trial at that court so he won't get a fair trial and he and he didn't the the way the indictment was done was also with a grand jury a secret jury um the jury was made up of of supporters of, of all of that establishment um and and that whole thing was all all uh, rigged and, and biased as well so look the, just this whole thing is a pandora's box of uh of of uh, arbitrariness and um, just uh, abuse of process and uh, ridiculous um, judicial scandal. The entire thing. That's what that's what you you realize when you just start to investigate it, and that's what we detail in the film. Yeah, um, there's another. I just remembered that that the fantastic um, lawyer Stephen Donziger said it. The, uh, the Washington Belmarsh Tribunal. Um, Donziger is a is, uh, famous, uh, incredible lawyer who, who took on Chevron and, and sued them for billions of dollars and won. Um, so, so he knows, I mean, he's, he's a very astute lawyer. Anyway, in this speech, he said, the, the US narrative on Julian Assange is a complete fraud from A to Z. You know, the, you just look at all these intelligent people, um, the, you know, these kinds of people that we've interviewed in the film, John Pilger, Daniel Ellsberg, Tariq Ali, Chris Hedges, Jennifer Robinson, Stella Assange. And these are really brilliant thinkers. They're, they're incredibly articulate. And they also have a really good heart. They also believe in truth and humanity and fairness and justice and when you hear them talk about the case and they uh, explain it all and they delve into it all uh, then you really see what what's really going on in all of this 
yeah, the actual story, the behind the scenes stuff, and the fact that, uh, you know, Julian hasn't been able to see his children, you know, uh, or, or real sunlight. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I was saying to my brother yesterday, I mean, you know, uh, I don't want to say we take it for granted, but, you know, we're out in, in the world walking around, going about our lives. Obviously, things happen in people's lives, and you can't always be talking about serious issues. You're going to deal with your own house. Um, but, you know, just knowing that right now he's sitting in that cell in Belmarsh, and, uh, you know, it's been like that for years, and they basically want to just leave him in there and see him rot to death. I mean, it's it's uh, it's yeah. really it's really um, sad and startling and uh, even still shocking, even though, you know, a lot of the brutality was exposed. Um, it has been exposed. But uh, so do you kind of hope to use your film as like a grassroots tool or are you going to take it on tour? Like what, what, what do you, what, what's like the next step from here? Well, yeah, three days ago we had the, the world premiere as part of Melbourne documentary film festival. And we, we've entered um, a whole bunch of festivals. And so at the moment we are showing it at festivals uh, around the world and seeking distribution talking to distributors we're, we're accepting interest from distributors and uh, looking for a distributor in each of the main regions to take the film into the the theatrical space into cinemas because that's where it's going to have its biggest effect firstly so we're hoping for a, a cinema a mainstream cinema release in especially in australia uk and the us so we're talking to distributors in each of those three regions. And it's a big question is... Yep, he froze up again. He should be coming back momentarily. We're just talking about the release of the film and uh, trying to get it in front of as many eyes as possible. And if you haven't seen a trailer for it, it's called Trust Fall, Julian Assange. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Sorry, it froze again, Kim. Um, yeah, so the big question is, after all of these years of Julian being an incredible advocate of free speech for world peace and the, the amazing public service that he has done by revealing all of this information, by teaching the world, what's going on, how, how, how these powers work, um, you know, what, what are the big problems in our society, in our governments. Uh, after all of this time, are, the big, are some of these big cinema chains going to finally give this story a, a, a voice and, and put it out there into the cinemas, you know, um, instead of uh, some just another big blockbuster superhero movie i mean this is a real life superhero this mm. is what julian assange is he took on he took on this incredible risk uh, to give us an insight into the way the world works and and it's uh you can't um understate the benefit of that um even if you're someone that has never visited wikileaks website you don't you can't give an example of of a wikileak i couldn't a few years ago but, um, but after having looked at some of them, I see how significant they are. We know that academics use them in, in university lectures. They refer to the, the facts in, that have been revealed in WikiLeaks, um, disclosures. We know that um, 
WikiLeaks facts and, and details have been used in many um, law cases, court cases. Uh, it's really useful stuff. And, and so, um, yeah, is it time now for, for this story to get a really big mainstream coverage? Do, do, the, do the cinemas have the guts to do it, really? Because the, the public want to know. The interest is there. People are very interested in this story. What are the wider implications? How does it affect um, free speech? How does it affect press freedom? Um, where, you know, what's the state of press freedom in, in the world? And what kind of world are we leaving to our future generations? There's a lot of interest in this stuff. Um, so the cinemas hopefully will recognize that and then we can um, share it with the widest audience possible. But uh, after cinema, then it will go to streaming and television and uh yeah just we're just trying to get it to the biggest audience possible it's a it's a powerful shocking film it's a sad film people cry watching this um, men cry uh you know that it's <laughs> um you know in, sure. in australia there's very there's very stoic men in australia there's the, this thing of like you know big boys don't cry but but we've seen many men shed tears during this film because the story is so tragic and then the information, the, the, the footage that we're sharing is also incredibly confronting, um, just some of the footage from some of the WikiLeaks disclosures. Yeah, you mentioned the big studios and superhero films, and, you know, I think a lot of that's done by design. I think those are just propaganda films. They're meant to lull people into, um, you know, false patriotism and jingoism and not question the war machine um, and, the, and the real human cost of war, and that's what's so jarring about like um the uh you know collateral collateral murder i mean that that footage you, you know seeing that years later it's still oh it's hard every time to watch that you know you're just seeing unarmed you know innocent people and, and journalists just being basically just you know shot into nothing mm. and you know they do kill journalists journalists are killed all around the world and you mentioned earlier that there's some 500 right now that are detained and I guess my question from that is, you know, what what, what countries? And, and like you said, what are their, who are they? What are their names? Um, I think we'd be surprised to see some of the countries on that list, you know, and, and the, the reasons yeah. why they're being detained. And to me, it's because uh, they're willing to really be investigative journalists and look into things and, and look under rocks where uh, a lot of other people and official stenographers for the state refuse to look at. And I think there is a hunger for it, like you said, Kim, because... I think a lot of people know, they know intrinsically that they're being lied to, we're being hoodwinked, we're not being given all the information, um, and there is an agenda out there. And a, a lot of the time, the job of the so-called uh, press is to just be, um, you know, mouthpieces for corporations and, and for governments. And uh, this was a huge shot across the bow at that. And it's it, the ripple effect of it is still, I think it's still very much uh, strong and I really hope that you know something big can come of it as well. Hmm. Yeah. Well, look, this is not just about uh, what one man has has done. The achievements of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. It's not just about that. It's also about a man who has a family, who has uh, a life, you know, and and that deserves to be honoured. And my conclusion after more than two years of, of investigating this situation and looking at it from all angles and all the details, all the, all the disgusting details of this is, is that basically this, 
this is a, a slow murder of a journalist. It, um, you know, this is in Western countries. You can't just you can't hang someone in the street anymore. They they gave that up um, what hundred years ago, I guess. Um, these sort of public ex executions, like William Wordsworth, the underground printer in London, who was um, you know a couple of hundred years ago was uh, printing pamphlets, you know, saying that the the ousted kings should be returned. And so, what, as soon as they discovered that, they they just uh, take him to the town square and 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 he's hung and quartered and then dragged down the street. You know, that's that's how they. Uh, that's how they created a scapegoat in the, at that time. Um, that's how they warned off other would-be journalists, would-be um, dissidents of the of the government. Um, and he was tried at the same court that Julian Assange was tried. Mm. So, um, two hundred years later, you got a guy from Australia who's an absolute genius with encryption comes up with this amazing technology to inform the world about what's wrong with it you know there's a line in in the film oh we froze up again here folks <laughs> sorry about that it should be back momentarily yeah i'm back <laughs> um and so he came along with this amazing innovation, this invention of an anonymous Dropbox to protect the whistleblowers, to make an improvement in the world because, you know, a, a leak, it's like in the simplest way if people don't, so if people sort of have this kind of, they're a bit thingy about this, this leaking thing, this sort of whistleblower thing, it sounds very eagle and it, it must be wrong right but it's it's not because the 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 young version of of a of a WikiLeaks is when something someone does the wrong thing in a playground you know someone throws a rock at someone or whacks someone in the head and 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 someone with with some uh, ethics and morals goes and tells the teacher well you know, Jenny just hit Johnny in the in the in the, in the nose, and was that a wrong thing to do? No, you know. So, so someone that's a whistleblower is just reporting a crime. They they right. are demonstrating morality and and demonstrating a sense of ethics, and that's what that's what Julian has done is publish the crimes of the powerful. These are not um. This is he's not publishing somebody's um pin number for their bank account he's right. publishing he's publishing information about somebody that stole other people's pin numbers and he's, he's not publishing hollywood gossip he's publishing the fact that hollywood covered up some crime right it, it's it's always crimes that's the thread amongst those you know 10 million documents that wikileaks has, has uncovered on 212 countries of the world uh it's it's virtually every country of the world that he's uncovered crimes whether it's um uh, genocide corruption war crimes um, crimes against the environment that's the the common thread is it's it's crimes and and this is the next question people need to get their head around um 
should a crime be classified people have this thing about well it's classified oh it's we should see it then it's secret it's you know that's just for the powerful people to look at well no a crime should not be classified you don't classify a crime unless you want to cover it up so you know the 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 big message is instead of attacking julian instead of attacking the messenger fix what he exposed fix the problems that he's uh, revealed about the world yeah that's the overall uh, conclusion i agree with that too and and uh, also uh, you know none of these documents or none of the the leaks so-called leaks or cables um have ever shown to be um you know fake or not authentic that's another important piece of this you know yeah it's with, never been the emails when the emails came never out. had to redact anything unlike every other every major newspaper in the world uh, wikileaks has never had to redact a single thing it's they're just a hundred percent accurate yeah that's that's a great record and yeah like you said a lot of the press can't claim that and even if they do get something wrong and they acknowledge it they usually just put it in small print and move on or they don't ever bother to correct themselves and they have such a poor record um, of reporting on really major important events that it's just mm. it's crazy to me that any of them even still have any credibility at all but it just shows yeah. you the power the power of propaganda and the power of lies well look there's a there's a interesting development happening with this introduction of ai right now into journalism because basically these sort of hack journalists that that just regurgitate government handouts and fake news and whip up all of these stories they're just in the process of being replaced by ai and they've they've missed their chance to protect their the integrity of their profession which julian has been fighting for that's what um julian's done is is uh, protect the, the the integrity of of real journalism and so all the gutless journalists that didn't want to speak out for his benefit in his support um, now they're in the position of uh you know being replaced by robots so if you act like a robot um you can be easily replaced by a, a much smarter robot and then you'll be finding cheap, another job a cheaper one yeah they'll actually have to go get real jobs mm. <laughs> but someone there's who a hasn't been... <laughs> okay, there's a there's an incredible speech that julian gave at uh the stop the war coalition uh, event um i can't remember what year but we we have an excerpt of it in the film and in that speech, Julian was saying how journalists are so responsible for deaths in the wars um, because of the because their 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 willingness to just publish fake news. Because uh, one of his famous lines is, "If wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth." Um, so in that speech, he he goes into he rattles off various wars. Um, that were just the result of lies um and uh and it's journalists that are that are basically involved in that um so yeah the world needs accurate journalism and we need to know the truth we need to know what's going on um julian and wikileaks had an answer for that they're not criminals they are people with integrity people that care about uh truth justice and that want to have a peaceful world and who doesn't? I mean, I mean, we, we what want. the world doesn't want peace? The people selling weapons. Mm -hmm. They're the only ones. 
and the people that just want to control and dominate. And that's a, such a tiny amount of people. So if, if the rest of us realize, we realize that we are powerful, well then, and then we, we gather our voices and we gather our energies and collaborate, uh, we can fix this. We can win this. Absolutely, Ken. That, that's beautifully said. And uh, before we let you go, I just wanted to mention, um, I read that you, you were able to get Roger Waters to be involved in the project. Is that? He, yeah. He, so the, we have two, um, two very well-known narrators in the film so far, and, and um, we will be uh, hoping to have a couple more if we can before the theatrical release, um, insert a few more voices. But yeah, we do have Roger Waters and also the brilliant UK rapper MIA, um, who hasn't been very active lately with music, but, but she had some uh, really big hit songs um, some years ago, and um, she's a huge Assange supporter. Um, and, and so, the, yeah, we're very, we're very privileged to have those voices in the film. And, and look, there is, there is plenty of support from... Uh, the, the the high profile people, um, but most of them, even the ones that they do support him, but they don't do it in the open because otherwise they're going to be, uh, you know, boycotted and and sort of uh, left out of opportunities. So it's only the the really gutsy ones like Roger Waters and uh, and a few others is, that are willing to speak out. Like I, through this process, I've been in touch with some celebrities that have never voiced their support for him. And when, when they've written back, they say, yeah, I do. I, I, I am a fan of him. Um, but they, no, they don't want to stick their neck out and um, because of such is the power of the establishment to sort of silence people. And um, so, but yeah, there are, there are a few that are brave enough to lend their voice for the project. And um, we're very happy to have their, their voices in the film. And, and they did a fantastic job, like Roger Waters, so expressive and just so natural when he reads the script and um, it just brings something else to it. So, um, yeah, beautiful um, to have their, their voices in the film. That's great. And, you know, that is how you get a lot of people who aren't familiar with this information or this story on board. We live in the celebrity-dominated culture. Uh, like it or not, it's just kind of the reality. And if you do see somebody eloquently speaking about this, um, be like wow i didn't even know about that so that that's great kim that you, you got them on board and uh waters i'm a huge fan of roger waters and every show he has you know scrolling across the banner talking about julian assange and he's he's just just been tireless i mean among other issues and of course they attack him and they really ramped it up in the last i feel like the last year they really ramped up stuff against um waters you know because he always talks about you know israel and palestine and you know a number of important issues so no, I think that's great. And I think now's the time to speak up, man. We're, uh, you know, uh, whether you're just a regular person like us or, you know, doing your part on a podcast or a film uh, or whoever you are out there, uh, because there is going to come a time where we won't be able to speak up. And this this is we're really getting close to that cliff. So where can people that's support support you, Kim? And, and, you know, maybe right now we can't see the film on streaming, but where, where can we support you and get the word out on this project? Um, yeah, well, uh, we, we really appreciate support. I mean, that's what's made the project get, get this far. We've had um, over 2,300 people support the crowdfunding campaign, which has just been tremendous. As I, as I said at the beginning of the interview, was, it was only going to be a, uh, 
uh, a YouTube video and then it grew into a, a cinema worthy piece and, and it has eight animations and celebrity narrators and, uh, and interviews with 23 incredible luminaries. So, um, yeah, you can easily find our GoFundMe page if you just put into your search engine um, the Trustful um, GoFundMe. So the Trustful, T-R-U-S-T, um, GoFundMe, it'll come up. So um, greatly appreciate even a very small amount. It, it, it all adds up and it helps us keep going. And we're at the final stages now, That just in this last month or so we we need to make the the trailer the final trailer for the film um, do up a website start getting the film uh, translated into different languages and a few other jobs color grading sound grading um, a, a little bit more to tidy up the film and make it as good as it can be so really appreciate people getting behind it so that we can um, make it as powerful as it needs to be to to help julian assange um, in his situation Definitely. And the important thing is to not shut up about this and keep talking about it. And uh, I'll definitely put the link when I post this and put the uh, audio version up. Uh, we'll have that on there. Um, but thank you so much, Kim, for, for taking the time. I'm glad we could put this together. Uh, I've been following what you've been doing now for about a year. And uh, I'm, you know, super, super happy to see this come into fruition. And, uh, you know, thank you for all your hard work and, and passion on this case. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Mike, and really enjoyed our chat. Absolutely. All right, folks. Well, there you have it. Uh, Mr. Kim Statton, uh, the filmmaker of Trustfall, Julian Assange. Uh, be on the lookout for that. And we will see you guys again on Thursday.